0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Thanks for listening to this Institute of Art and Ideas podcast, bringing you philosophy for our times. Here at the IAI, we're committed to taking philosophy out of dusty books and lecture halls and into the heart of public life. If you enjoy this debate and want to carry on the discussion, or watch over a thousand more debates and talks on all the latest issues in philosophy, science, politics and arts, visit iai.tv. Remember to subscribe and review on iTunes.
2: Are men from Earth and women from Earth? This yes. seems to be the central <laughs> point of it. On my fridge for many years has been a lovely Magnetic Month postcard, one of my favourite postcards. It's got men and women. And above men, it's got... A simple switch on off and under women it's got dials, knobs, arrows, little readouts, digital head-up displays and everything and it does seem to me that women are complicated and men are pretty straightforward. <laughs> now is that the kind of neuro nonsense that is really being spouted out in this world? Well we have three top boffins to talk about this today. With me is, is Gina Rippon. <laughs> Now, Gina, you're a professor of neuroimaging at Aston, aren't you? That's so, right. Now, this lady is outspoken in what she describes as neurotrash, neurobunker, neuro, neuro, neuro four-letter word. These are things that really are, I think, something are big problems for us, and certainly for me as a psychiatrist today. And she's spoken outspokenly on that very subject. With me is Professor Simon Baron Cohen, who is no less than a professor of psychology at Cambridge University. He's an expert on autism. He's written many books on the subject. Um, The Essential Difference, I think, is your book that addresses the issue of gender difference. And in the blue corner, we have Helena Cronin. Now, Helena is co-director of the Center for the Philosophy of Natural and Social Sciences. And uh, she's a philosopher by training, but actually, she's not really. She's that rarest of things, a practical philosopher. And her her way of being practical (laughs) is through evolutionary science. She's an unashamed Darwinist and we'll be hearing it from Darwinism a little later, I think. But first of all, Gina, I'd like you to go first. I'd like you to tell us what you think about this idea. Is there a difference between men and women, and is it all biological?
3: Well, the question I was asked to start with, are mental differences based in biology, which really means are men's and women's brains different, and is this what drives the differences between men and women? This is an 18th century question wonderful uh, advances in technology in the 21st century, amazing ways of imaging the brain, fantastic ways of of looking at big data sets, and yet we're still asking 18th century questions and still coming up with 18th century conclusions. I think it's time we moved on. So we got three levels. We're interested in behavior. Men and women behave differently. Well, do they? There's a wonderful paper came out recently with a title I wish I'd thought of, Black and White or Shades of Grey, where somebody re-examined all the so-called psychological sex differences which characterised men and women and found that actually they're not really categories. If you have a single dimension, you'll find that the scores of males and females are pretty equally distributed along that dimension. So we shouldn't be thinking about behaviour in terms of categories. And this was like 120-plus psychological characteristics including you know fear of failure and masculinity and femininity, even the other level we can look at is the kind of cognitive skills, the kind of thing that I look at at Aston, looking at the different kinds of Um, processes that we go through in order to understand the world around us. Big understanding, there's differences between males and females. Differences, males are very good at spatial tasks, females good at verbal tasks. Again, if you look at the evidence, the differences are tiny. But at least, at least we say, well, we know we're on safe ground when we're talking about biological differences between males and females. Excess chromosomes, XY chromosomes. Actually, we should really be moving on from a binary understanding of sex. Even biologically, males and females aren't that different. And I know from the work that I've done that the, males, uh, the brains of males and the brains of females really aren't that different. Effectively, I'm saying that there's actually... Um, much more interesting, much more informative and much less harmful, which I'll come back to later, categories than thinking of males and females in terms of male brains and female brains.
0: So uh, I'd probably start off by saying that I agree with uh, with Gina, surprisingly. <laughs> Stop there. <laughs> um, in, I hope not. In, in that I, think, I think we are moving towards dimensional approaches rather than categorical approaches. So male and female as categories is not really helpful, that a lot of um, what you can measure, either psychologically or at other levels, biologically, um, is showing that a dimensional approach uh, is more useful, that people are situated at different points on dimensions. Uh, A second point of agreement is actually that um, any differences you find when you compare groups of males and groups of females, Are really quite small and subtle, um, and that the similarities are probably uh, more um, evident than the differences. Um, And I suppose a third point of agreement is that um, we recognize that biology and culture contribute to any of these small differences that are observed between groups of males and females. So the old uh, polarity. Um, that it's either biology or culture. Really, we, we, we have moved on from that. Um, I would still make a plea that we don't ignore the role of biology, and I think this will come out in the, in the panel. Uh, and that's because um, I'm very interested in how sex differences emerge. First of all, at the anatomic level, uh, we know that uh, in terms of reproductive system development, males and females clearly, clearly differ. And the question is what gives rise to those differences and do those factors influence our brain and our behavior? So um, for me, what's been really compelling in reading the scientific literature is that if you start at the point of conception and you look at the fetus, in the first four weeks of life, the fetus has no anatomic sex and no hormonal sex. A male and female fetus differs chromosomally uh, gene has already mentioned about XX or XY. Um, but if you just looked at the anatomy of that fetus, you wouldn't see any difference. But the presence of that Y chromosome in males, and in particular a gene on that Y chromosome called SRY, triggers a whole cascade of um, developmental changes, in particular making the gonad, which starts off as what's called bipotential. It could go either way develop into a testes or an ovary and cutting a long story short the presence of the testes produces much more of a hormone called testosterone in males than in females and the secretion of that hormone doesn't just change the fetus anatomically in terms of the reproductive system but that hormone can also cross the blood-brain barrier and change the the development of the brain and the development of behaviour So biology is playing a role, we'll come back to this. Um, uh, In animal research, um, you can manipulate the amount of that hormone, testosterone, to really show how it changes the development of the structure and functioning of the brain and postnatal behavior. But prenatal hormones, sex hormones like testosterone and that's converted into estrogen, uh, really do play part of uh, the influence on later behavior uh, what culture does and socialization does is equally important so i want to underline that my position is an interactionist i think very moderate position that culture and biology interact but we shouldn't lose sight of biology thank you
1: over evolutionary time mating has bestowed very different costs Benefits on males and females. And that's the key to understanding all sex differences. They've arisen from different selection pressures on the two sexes. Ultimately, those differences stem from different reproductive strategies. That was the very beginning of it. Sexual reproduction involves dividing your reproductive investment into two you have to compete for mates and you have to care for offspring. Throughout the living world, Males specialize more in competing, and females specialize more in caring. That doesn't mean that's the only things that they do. They specialize more in it. There's always that difference, some difference in the ratio. Consider, for example, the competitiveness. A quick way to think of it is, give a man 50 wives and he can have children galore. Give a woman 50 husbands, no advantage whatsoever. (laughs) So, disadvantage. (laughs) So, natural selection has strongly favoured men who competed really strenuously for mates. And all men today are descended from victorious competitors. Thus, compared to women, men have always had far more to win, far more to lose, which makes them vastly more competitive. For example, risk-taking, single-minded, status-seeking, hierarchical, ambitious, opportunistic, entrepreneurial, and so on. More so in men than in women. Okay, but what about the claims about socialization? Um, boys, toys, guns, girls, pink frocks. No. Natural selection doesn't build us to be putty in others' hands. Anyone who could be so readily manipulated about how to be a male or how to be a female successfully would never have become our ancestor. So, Sex differences in mentality have been in the making for 800 million years. If they don't show up in neuroscience, it's the neuroscience that needs to get real. The Debate. Theme 1.
2: Well, let's open up this little can of words. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if I may, Gina, come to you, because in many ways, you know, you've said danger to read too much into biology. It's deadly. But, you know... No, we've heard about morphology and powerful yeah. structure and stuff like that. It seems that, you know, I find it very, very hard to believe that biology doesn't dominate the picture. I mean, and there's, you know, our society is hungry for good, decent scientific explanations. You're, you're a professor of neuroimaging yourself. I mean, where, w- there, there must be some crucial part to biology in all this.
3: Well... Obviously, as a cognitive neuroscientist, it sounds like we're going to have this. I, mean, I agree with Simon. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course, sure I believe really that our behaviour important. is based in biology. But I would say, as I've been told to be controversial, I think what Helena <laughs> said, it's an 18th century idea. It's not all about reproduction. This is the idea that you know, women shouldn't go to university and get degrees because it will affect their reproductive ability. <sighs> Remember that we're talking about mental differences. We're talking about Ooh, why mental, there's, why agenda. there's a huge gender gap. You know, mm. The World Economic Forum produces a, a global gender gap index each year. No countries have actually closed mm. the, the gap. So we're actually thinking about what it is that means that, that as with these kind of measures, males and females experience the world differently, benefit differently from the world. Is it really just to do with reproduction or is it to do with a particular attitude, a belief about what we, men and women can do for themselves as well as the attitudes of people out there. So I think society is important. I would say that one of the things I think the 21st century has shown is how plastic our yeah. brains are. Yeah. Our socioeconomic status will I affect our brain. Could insta- you explain what you mean by plastic? What I mean by plastic is the way in which the Barbie. brain... Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, not Barbie, no. <laughs> <laughs> the brain can change. Yeah. It used to be thought that you know if you went to medical school 30 years ago or something, you'd be taught that you're born with your adult number of brain cells and that's it. And you go through life and your brain gets a bit bigger and life will change it a bit. There's more connections formed. After the age of about 50, unfortunately, you know, brain falls off a cliff, the grey cells start disappearing, <laughs> etc. But we now know that tiny things can change the brain, much more than, than we thought possible. And we know that the brain can recover from injury. So the quite dramatic changes can be reversed, but even quite subtle changes. I was talking to somebody last night saying that, our socioeconomic status affects particular character- characteristics in the brain. Well, that might be to do with health, access to education, etc. But also our perceived socioeconomic status. So, where we think we are in the pecking order can also change aspects of our brain. So, when I say plastic and the role of biology, I think biology certainly, definitely, can't not be involved. But I think we're not aware of how much influence is, is brought so to bear on that so biology. you're saying
2: then that the world we all go through male and female is constantly shaping yes. our brain structure as we go along is that what you're saying yes because i understand is it not right we're born with our god's quota of neurons and then they're pruned within the first 10 yeah. years of life i mean i mean yeah. come to you on this side this, sure this idea that, that gina suggested <coughs> that actually it's biology being battered around all the time by the environment i mean yeah. what can neuroscience bring to that well, I'm glad you've raised the, uh, the word pruning
0: because um, during early development uh, the, the brain undergoes a lot of pruning, that, that we, we form many more neurons than we retain in development and we form many connections between neurons um, that uh, get pruned and uh, the technical term is apoptosis but it's uh, also described as selective cell death. Uh, that we're losing um, neurons in early development. And very interestingly, that hormone I mentioned earlier, testosterone, reduces the rate of pruning in neurons in the brain. So uh, given that the male fetus and the female fetus, which as you said, are category differences, Mm -hmm. you've got your Y chromosome or you don't, and you've got your SRY gene or you don't, those are category differences. that, you know, you're, you you see uh, as soon as that gene is influencing how much testosterone the fetus produces, which is a m- dimensional difference, more or less testosterone. That hormone is affecting brain development, the number of connections that you retain, and you can see this uh, neuroanatomically. So, if you dissect the brain, you find that that the male um, uh, has about a third more neurons than the female. So these are just quantitative differences that are the result okay. of biological factors. But
2: they're robust findings, are they? Those are robust Obviously findings. You can't yeah. doubt the existence of the SRY gene, but this, this differential pruning, yeah. this and differential be, thickness yeah. of the corpus callosum, for example, you know, the big highway between the left and the right hemisphere, yeah. is repeatedly different in women, is it yeah. not? No, you're um. saying, it's not, it's not, <laughs> okay. Let's just try then to drag this biology back into the real world, yeah. out of the petri dish and the bleeping psychology screens into the world of the boardroom salary. What is the role of neuronal pruning and testosterone and <laughs> GSRY in the existence of the boardrooms, in the glass ceiling for women in executive roles? I mean, how does biology play into that? So, so my,
0: my view is that if we want a society that is equal, For the two sexes. That's more of a political issue. But I think that, um, first of all, it's very important to say that the research into sex differences really only tells you about group averages. And Gina made this point right at the beginning. It doesn't tell you anything about individuals. So at the boardroom or at the interview for the job, if you have a male or a female, you can't predict. Or presume anything about that individual based on their gender. And to do so would be stereotyping and
2: discriminating. So biology but has very really little to do with the real world is what you're
0: saying. No, because
1: no. campaigns sorry. Yeah. Please, please, Helena, campaigns yourself. to get more women on board, the concept of the glass ceiling is all about averages. That's what it's about. Of course. The idea of when somebody comes to an interview—that's about individuals. So you shouldn't look at. You shouldn't ask: Are they male or female? If y- if it's meritocracy alone that you're concerned with, you might be concerned with whether they're male or female. For other reasons, for example, you might be concerned about a jury in a rape case or something of that kind. These are very delicate, mm-hmm. and very difficult questions. But certainly, if it's meritocracy that you're concerned with, then you shouldn't care whether it's a male or a female. You you look at what their CV says, what their performance has been. But averages make a huge difference, and unfortunately, they are taken up wrongly in policy because people deny there are sex differences. Because they deny there are sex differences, they assume there's a glass ceiling preventing women from getting to the top and say it must be discrimination. No, it's not discrimination. If you look at the real research on this, and if you look at the data, It's very clear that men and women have somewhat slightly different life priorities. There are fairly slight differences, particularly compared to some species, particularly of mammals, in which the males are hugely different, both literally and figuratively, from the females. We're not terribly different in lots of ways, but these life priorities make enough difference... To get more men in the boardrooms, more men to the top, and for women to take jobs that are paid differently and to do it more often part-time, to stay at a lower level, willingly, willingly. That's what they actually prefer because their life priorities involve doing other things as well. I think the trouble is that you say
3: we should be looking at individuals not in terms of whether they're males and females. The trouble is that out there the evidence we're all looking at the evidence, debating it. A lot of people believe, really believe there are differences. And we know that if you have CVs, same CVs with a male or a female name on, then the male, you know, depending on the job, it's more likely that the male will be given a higher salary, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the trouble is that people really believe there are differences and they behave appropriately. And that's why the boardroom decisions are made in the way they are
2: but what you should be saying then is that group differences will never usefully inform individual differences and that in turn means that biology is a precious little reference to our to day lives so why why are they paying your salary doing this research <laughs> you guys you know we, you know it's, it's guaranteed headline but, stuff, but isn't it? But we're really you know, interested women in... Women can't read maps, it's all in the yeah, anterior cingulate. But that's because that we're
3: on. still talking about males and females. If we're interested in map reading, let's look at map reading. That's where we're getting into difficulties. We're, we're missing a trick if we're looking at all these really interesting aspects of behaviour. That all our wonderful science techniques, all the wonderful images we have in the Aston Brain Centre plug-plug, um, means that we can actually look at these. And we're, we're spoiling, we're missing a trick by saying, oh males over there females over there we should really forget about males and females if we're interested in behavior let's look at behavior
2: do you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers if the answer to that question is yes subscribe to iai.tv for unlimited access to thousands of debates talks articles academy courses and live events are you bored of the surface level news politics sports and entertainment coverage on your newsfeed Go deeper, get the philosophy behind the news, and get the latest big ideas from the world's leading thinkers on subjects at the core of the human condition, life, the universe, and everything in between. It's free for the first month, and there's no commitment to pay. So subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level. What do you
0: so, think? Um, um, well, I. To the question, does it, does it matter, and um, why is it important? Why are they paying our salaries? Yeah, you um, know, what so, relevance is So it? I'll give you two examples where I think it matters. So I work in the field of autism, um, so it's a neurodevelopmental condition, um, where people develop disabilities. And very interestingly, those children and adults who struggle to socialise and communicate, um, the majority of them are male. And one of the reasons that took me into the field of sex differences and gender differences was to try to understand why certain uh, clinics see far more boys than girls. Autism is one good example. A second example is language disabilities. Children who are late to talk, someone mentioned prisons. So uh, again, important areas of our society where we see very significant differences in the sex ratio of who ends up in those clinics or in those prisons. And the other example I was going to give was, uh, it's already been mentioned, about universities. What do you study at university? And when you look at the applications into subjects like mathematics, engineering, uh, computer science, physics, you see far more males applying for those subjects and being given offers to study those subjects than females. If you look at sciences like medicine, psychology, veterinary science, you see the opposite profile, far more female applicants and more offers uh, going to females. So to me, this is telling us that there are some interesting differences when you look at big data, large data sets across, for example, UK universities or US universities, that the two sexes are equal in terms of scientific aptitude, but they're choosing to study very different sorts of things. So this may well reflect um, the, uh, I think what Helena called the values, different values that um, we have uh, uh, been life, shaped life by. Life
1: priorities. Life yes.
0: priorities w- that we've been shaped mm-hmm. by oh. for millions of years.
3: Yes. But, but I think math is a really nice example because yeah. that's an example of what we call stereotype threat, where girls from a very early age, believe themselves, and teachers who are teaching them also believe that girls don't do maths, can't do maths, find maths hard. And so it's that that informs their choices later on. And interestingly, in terms of the question about biology, we've now, with neuroimaging, and it wasn't my study, but somebody's paying somebody's salary to do this, shown that stereotype threat can also change the brain. So that if you're given a maths problem and it's framed in different ways, your brain will process that information differently. So it's a really nice example of, yes, it's biology, but it's biology which has been moulded from a very early age by what's going on. Theme two.
2: So, Eleanor, I mean, these things have been shaped down the corridors of time, evolutionarily speaking. Yes. Am I not right in understanding that this dimorphism, this tremendous difference between man and female body shape, is relatively recent. I mean, Paleolithic graves and very early graves, so women is pretty meat and beefy because of <laughs> the very tough life they had physically.
1: Um, when we've d- domesticated ourselves into human beings mm. um, from an- ancestral differences... Which is what, 10,000 we have years? N- no, prob- I would say longer. Probably over 2 million years is more reasonable time. <laughs> Certainly, we've changed. We've changed, and one thing is, we've become less dimorphic in some ways than than our ancestors, really? and th- in some ways. But let me just talk about this point about similarities and differences. It's pointless to ask: Are men and women more alike or more different from one another? There's an infinite number of ways in which any two things can be alike or different from one another. The only sensible way to ask it is. Where, given our evolutionary understanding, which is what created male and female and created those differences, where would you expect to find differences? And that's the only sensible way to ask it. So you would expect to find differences in competitiveness. You would expect to find differences in interests and people in living things. And when you look at those, you find they're alike. You don't expect to find differences in number of arms and legs or heads. Jean is very keen that um, we shouldn't talk about sex differences out in the open um, (coughs) because people get it all wrong and start exaggerating and so on Um, people use uh, the biology, if we say there are male-female differences, they use the biology for sexist purposes. Yes, if they do criticize the sexism, not the science. You need the science in order to understand how males and females are living together in the modern world, what our real differences are, how to help females remedially with masks, for example, because we aren't, on average, innately as good at it as males. So all of these things are very, very important (laughs) to do. And may I say, I talked about science You then apparently repeated what I said, and you said, I said women shouldn't go to university or something like that. You used the word should, you used the word should. I I I was was talking about uh, about 18th century quotes, not you. You said (laughs) I was doing 18th century stuff. I said it was an 18th century mistake. I'm just saying it's really absolutely crucial to distinguish between what is and the policy we need, what Simon was saying. It's absolutely crucial. But it's also crucial not to assume that you can just, well, not really bother about the science because it Mm. makes a huge difference to good or bad policies.
2: And so you're saying then that the localization of cerebral function differently in men and women's brains is a 21st century mistake. Is that what you're saying?
3: Uh, No, I'm saying the assumption that there are differences is an 18th century mistake. In the 21st century, we have the evidence to show that there is very little difference. And there's a phrase which I have to be careful using in the context, size matters. So we know that on average, men's brains are bigger than women, but that's because men are bigger than women. And when we correct all of the brain structures that we can study, the volume of the brain, etc., it turns out that size is actually the aspect which contributes to the differences which we've seen. So you could say, oh, there's a, a male, female corpus callosum. Once we've looked at intracranial volume, as it's called, those differences disappear. It's the size of the brain, not the sex of the brain. And I think so. That's a 21st century step which people
1: sometimes ignore. Yes, but uh, but in uh, in doing that, you're also really denying that there is dichotomy of males and females across which. These things are distributed, not in the characteristics I think are important in determining
3: where women are in the world, what they can do, the choices they can make, etc. And I think that, mm. that's well, that's what it I'm it saying. Mm. <laughs> what yeah. can yeah. do to support, that.
2: you know, to, to take us out of this mess of what seems to be kind of a woolly uniformity that yeah. we're heading towards? Uh, well, um, <laughs> again, to bring it back
0: to uh, why it matters, mm. um, you know, I, I gave the example of children with autism, and why is it that males? Uh, seem to be more at risk for developing or for for, for getting this diagnosis, and that led us to uh, in our research to look at the role of prenatal testosterone, which we could measure during pregnancy, uh, uh, to see whether that was um, elevated in children who go on to develop autism. So this is I think I think starting off with an observation that the two sexes um, uh, uh, show differences in behaviour or uh, in likelihood of for example, different medical conditions might lead us to look at sex linked aspects of biology. hormones are just one genes might be another, uh, so that we can begin to understand mechanisms that give rise to the behavior it 's not to say that environment postnatal learning plasticity isn 't just as important, but some of those very early biological factors might be might be helping us understand why the two sexes Um, experience risk differently.
3: Theme 3
2: How much of this research, biologically, is being taken into the test bed of the real world? I mean, are there people out there doing brain scans of women before and after appointment to CEO jobs and things like that? I mean, (laughs) is that a realistic way of doing it? (laughs) Or am I just reinforcing this unhelpful dichotomy?
3: Unfortunately, a lot of that research is things like neuromarketing and things like that.
2: Does it come up with any useful truths? I'm very keen to see if if you experts Mm. here can... Inform this synthesis.
3: There is an interesting and relevant study where they looked at girls who, uh, with particular spatial cognition scores, so ability in spatial processing, and they then let those girls have an, an intensive six to eight weeks experience with Tetris. But the idea is that that it's been shown that if you give somebody that kind of experience you can actually change the brain. Now, I'm not saying that we should all go out and play Tetris or become taxi drivers or jugglers, but I think that is quite a useful way of demonstrating that if your skills are at a certain level, you can change those. It's not, you know, you haven't shrugged your shoulders and say, I was dealt a duff hand, you know, with the, in the brain stakes.
2: So one last question before we throw it out to the audience, and that's this, and Helen, i would put this one to you first, really. If we do succeed in accepting my colleagues here's suggestion that the overlap is much greater than the difference, and we do succeed in divorcing this biologically oriented research away to the more of the social agenda and looking at these, the real world, which seems so important to me as a doctor, what will the world look like in, say, 50 to 100 years from now, from, from your point of view? I mean, could I ask you to sketch out a, you know, sort of a, an evolutionary quickie of the direction we're heading in?
1: Yes, obviously our evolution isn't going to change, but I hope that by then we will have a more considered, more informed understanding of what those differences are. And if we care about them turning out as differences in work, in education, in any sort of achievement that people want, we'll know how to go about it. F- by starting with the fact that we're different and not pretending that we're the same. Pretending we're the same leads to disastrous policies, an attempt to, to get 50-50% everywhere, which is the most ludicrous policy because it's done in the name of trying to prevent, quotes, discrimination, because it's assumed that it would be 50-50 everywhere. Otherwise, it's not. And let's hope that by then, policy will be informed by science.
2: okay get the views of the two and where we're heading.
1: I... T- I'd say that, in fact, I agree, um, in that the, the
3: problem is, what is it we want to be equal? Is it just numbers of men and women? And I think that's a mistake, because there's an assumption, building on that stereotype, that having 50% of the front bench should be women. Why? And there's an assumption that those women will therefore bring empathy, networking, caring, etc. Well, I don't think Margaret Thatcher was possibly a very good example of that. So what you really need to say, what is it we want? Let's discover what underpins the particular skills that are required and make sure that we can identify those people who have them or people who don't have them and need them if there's a way of introducing them. So I think trying to get away from this idea that it's male or female um, could be more useful.
2: Simon, last word.
0: Uh, l- re- l- last comment is that obviously what, um, as we go forward into the next 50 years we're not going to be playing with people's hormones or genes but we, w- we could be playing with, for example, methods of teaching mm. and other kinds of intervention. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, so if we want, for example, um, more girls to be feeling confident in mathematics there's lots of things we can do mm. in terms of classroom oh, techniques. So biology <laughs> is useful. Yes. Yes.
2: <laughs>
1: Thank you for listening to this Institute of Art and Ideas podcast. If you enjoyed this debate and want to carry on the discussion, visit IAI.tv. Remember to subscribe and review on iTunes.
3: Look around. You can find cars like these on Autotrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Autotrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro...